This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. My friend Mark is listening, and uh, he writes, $1.90 for a tuna sandwich? He says, where can you find a tuna sandwich for $1.90? In where we live, in our neighborhood, you can basically maybe get a can of tuna for uh, for, for $1.90. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. Maybe maybe it's a dollar, you know, almost two euros, and they're not doing an adequate job they're not doing an adequate job making the conversion. I don't know. Meantime, a good news, bad news situation. I was perusing the refrigerator looking for unlabeled tuna. And wouldn't you know it, I found a can of bumblebee tuna, unlabeled. There's also some bread in there. Um, unlabeled bumblebee tuna, it's up for grabs, in a bag that's unlabeled. But... I can't find a can opener. So this is where we are at this, at this point. It's like it's it's like having the keys to to get out of jail, but you the uh, I don't know you don't have a top key or something. That's basically where we are. So uh, we will continue our investigation. I know Noam Laden has been. Hard at work on everything refrigerator related. You know, he runs our news department and a good a good two or three hours of our entire news department's day these days is spent investigating what's going on at this refrigerator. They have a correspondent camped out there basically 12 hours a day. It's really extraordinary the amount of attention that he and James Flippen and the entire news team is spending on this refrigerator. So, um, if anybody knows about a can opener, hopefully it's known. We'll get into it in um, a little bit. Also eager to see how the testing on the leftovers that were earmarked for me has gone, because those are still labeled. But, on to more important and more urgent matters. As, it, as we do each week at this time, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must denounce Google. Now, every week Google does something that it's denounceable, but this week it's particularly noteworthy. So Google has a new chat bot that I, I, I enjoy playing around with. I'm sure I'm contributing to the destruction of the world by one way or another, but I have fun with these AI chatbots and things like that. I, I use them to mess around and create text and create uh, graphic images. And so I was messing around with the Google chatbot, and they changed their name, by the way. They were named Bard, and even though they're only a year old, they've already changed their name. They're now Gemini. So, if you were to go to Gemini and ask them to show you some German soldiers during World War II, 
And of course, what were German soldiers during World War II? They were Nazis. If you were to ask them to show some Nazi soldiers during World War II, it would show you black people in German military uniform. If you were to ask them to show you images of America's founding fathers, people like George Washington and others, it would show you George Washington as a black man. So that's what Google was doing with their image creation. They have so trained it to be programmed towards diversity, they are now promoting diversity at the expense of accuracy. Gemini, formerly Bard, is showing you black Nazis and black George Washingtons. Now, because this created such an uproar over the last day, they have suspended this. They're no longer allowing uh, Gemini to create images because of all the controversy. The image generation feature has been suspended. But Google, yeah, it doesn't help you this time because I do denounce you. Speaking of AI behaving badly, I must also denounce ChatGPT. Did you try to use ChatGPT yesterday at all? ChatGPT was glitching out like it was an AT&T mobile phone. ChatGPT users were baffled after the chatbot appeared to have an epic meltdown in which it started speaking Spanglish and firing off other nonsensical responses. The alleged malfunctions were detailed in a series of posts on Reddit, which raised eyebrows. Per one such example posted to Reddit, a user had inquired about which Bill Evans jazz albums it would recommend getting on vinyl. Good question. Good question. After rattling off several recommendations, GPT puzzlingly repeated the phrase, Happy listening over and over again like a stuck jukebox or perhaps more ominously like the HAL 9000 dying at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Others claim that the virtual assistant was responding to their queries in Spanglish. Let me encyclopedes, let me encyclopedes me see there's more Wonderanda to articulations hungry for. It wrote during one exchange. Even simple questions appeared to elicit gibberish. When one user inquired what a computer was, GPT replied, It does this as the good work of a web of art for the country of a mouse of science, an easy draw of a sad few, and finally, the global house of art just in one job in the total rest. One user, you, uh, one user asked about creating a new business, only to have GPT unleash a Shakespearean word salad. The eon sift of vertebrate phase travel elopes with a rehiring toward nature agreeable reentrenches. The chatbot responded. Investors lore by bound spectrum and fundamental theorem horology. Roger Meyerson, Gene Tarol anticipate not the sodden shill, but a reign of consequential affordance, one that turns time's hegemony to the anthropos scintilla. These unhinged ramblings 
seem to go against ChatGPT's reputation as an omnipotent piece of technology that could possibly render us obsolete in a few years. So the folks at OpenAI, which owns this, say they have identified the issue and are working to remediate it. Here's what was interesting. They did not disclose the cause. They did not disclose the cause. What was the cause of ChatGPT speaking Spanglish? Has this entity gained consciousness? Are we living in the Terminator? Is it getting ready to launch Skynet? Where's John Connor? I didn't see Arnold Schwarzenegger complaining about any problems with this ChatGPT, just saying. So, ChatGPT, I do denounce you. I must also denounce now the former head of Boeing's 737 MAX program who has been shown the door. Ed Clark is out as the 737 MAX program head. I feel like every week there's a different problem with these Boeing 737 Maxes. I mean, to me, having doors fly off of planes, having bolts fly off of planes or panels fly off of planes, that's enough. These planes were defective. You know, as I've been reading all these stories about the Alaska Airlines flight and other flights over the last month, all involving Boeing, two things strike me. One, my friend Brendan asked me to stop sending him articles about this because he's already afraid, too afraid to fly that I'm only adding to his paranoia by sending him articles. So I can't imagine wanting to live life like that, like an ostrich sticking your head in the sand, but whatever. It's a very frustrating for me. Now that he said not to send him articles, every time I see one of these articles, it's very frustrating to, to me not to be able to send them. I hope he's listening right now. But... Um, the other thing that's been in my head over the last month is Denzel Washington's line in Flight, which is a great film with an even better than great beginning. Denzel Washington keeps saying to the investigators in the airplane that he was involved in, the airplane incident, he says, they put me in a broken airplane. The impression that I get with Boeing which I think is a terrible company. And I say this as someone who has friends that work for Boeing. My uncle Caesar, you know, spent decades working for Boeing. It is a ter- They are producing terrible products and doing terrible things. They are sticking innocent people in broken airplanes. And I don't understand why it's only Ed Clark that's getting replaced. To me, this looks like shark bait. As far as I'm concerned... The CEO, Dave Calhoun, ought to be out and replaced with someone who values safety, among other things, ahead of profits. So, to Mr. Ed Clark, I do denounce you. And the horse you rode in on. I must also denounce a former employee in Washington State who has been arrested in the vandalism of 24,000, you heard me correctly, 24,000 bottles of wine. Police say on November 22nd, a man broke into Sparkman Cellars Winery and opened valves of large containers of Sauvignon Blanc, which drained onto the floor. 
according to the winery, an estimated 24,000 bottles of wine worth an estimated $600,000 were destroyed. Now, this is just ridiculous. I'm sorry I don't have the person's name to denounce him by name, but they identified him as a former employee at Sparkman Cellars. No doubt a bitter former employee, probably fired for having a sandwich or something. But this, this is inexcusable. I mean, vandalism in all its forms is terrible. To spray paint Abraham Lincoln or Christopher Columbus or tear down Jackie Robinson statue. That's all horrible. But to waste 24,000 bottles of wine? Jesus used to create wine from water. That's how highly prized at his, at, uh, wine was at that time. And there's a reason his bar mitzvah was such a popular event. They never ran out of wine. But to just waste 24,000 bottles of wine? In my view, this is a sin. This is unforgivable. And to this unnamed wine waster, I do denounce you. There are starving children all over the world in places like Somalia and Rwanda and Sierra Leone that would love some of that wine. And this jerk just squanders it? Absurd. There are children going without wine. Um, I must denounce the people that uh, last week decided that it was a good idea to protest at Anthony Blinken's home. I have long said, I think it's completely inexcusable when protesters start showing up at the homes of public officials and screaming at their family members and children. I I don't care what you think of Anthony Blinken. His wife is not responsible for anything that's being done. His children are not responsible for anything that's being done. And yet, you had a situation where people were screaming at Anthony Blinken's children... And saying he does not help Gazan children. You had uh, one person pouring fake blood in front of a vehicle carrying the Secretary of State as it arrived at his home. And yelling at his children that their father does nothing to protect Gazan children. This, unfortunately, is the latest in a trend, a very ugly trend in Washington, but really all over of protesting at people's homes. This is horrible. This is inexcusable. Anybody that does this is a first-class jerk. And as the car carrying Blinken's kids rolled up to the house, this group of protesters took their place and they shouted things like, your father is a baby killer. And some of them waved signs saying, war criminal bloody Blinken lives here. Another poster featured a blown-up image of an old Blinken tweet of him and his wife holding their children as infants, and it was annotated with a chilling stat from the Gaza War, 10,000-plus fathers have lost their children. Now, whatever you think about what's going on in the Middle East right now, there's, I, I don't, this is so Bush League, this is so low-class, this is so inexcusable. And it, to me, it doesn't matter the political party or the political persuasion of the people's homes that you're protesting in front of. There's just no need for this. No need for this at all. 
You don't like it, vote for the other guy. Run yourself. Make a contribution to the other guy. Protest at his office. Uh, To have someone's children hear screams at their home that their father's a baby killer, to me, it's inexcusable. You know, I've had people protest outside of my house, and, you know, fortunately, all my neighbors have a good sense of humor, but what if they didn't? Do I, I mean, is it wise? I mean, is it is a nice thing that my neighbors have to hear some lunatic out, outside my house saying Frank Morano is agitating for war with China or Frank Morano this, Frank Morano that? I mean, I think it's terrible. But um, like, I don't, I don't think we had any children yet at the time. But I mean, I wouldn't want my son, when he's just struggling to understand this stuff, wanting to explain to him why people are calling me a baby killer. So, anybody that protests outside people's homes, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the person or persons who packed a rotted fish on a Delta airline flight. There was uh, an incident on Delta flight DL-133, which was flying from Amsterdam to Detroit. And the plane had to make a U-turn. Because a passenger, Philip Schott, from the Netherlands, witnessed maggots drop on a passenger from a suitcase in the overhead compartment. Can you imagine if my friend Brendan was on that plane? He already can't fly. And to see maggots dropping from the overhead compartment, I mean, come on. So people were freaking out. Flight attendants were then able to locate the source of the maggots. And it was a suitcase that contained a rotten fish. Why are you packing a rotten fish? This is insane. What do you think is going to happen? Look, if you're going to travel with a rotten fish, the least you could do is keep it in your checked luggage, not in the overhead carry-on. So to whomever's traveling with a rotten fish as a carry-on, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Lyft. It has nothing to do with their service as an e-hail vehicle company. It has to do with uh, an extremely expensive typo. Last week, when Lyft posted Q4 and full year results, there was also a press release stating that one of Lyft's property margins, EBITDA, was expected to expand 500 basis points in 2024. Now, this is a closely watched metric. So an analyst questioned it during the earnings call, and the Lyft CEO said, quote, this is actually a correction from the press release. You're correct. In my prepared remarks, I referenced 50 basis points of margin expansion. They put out a statement that said 500 instead of 50. Now, that's a pretty big typo. When when they first put out this press release, shares soared more than 60% in after-hours trading. And then when they issued an updated press release with the correct figure, shares immediately plummeted. So the Lyft CEO, David Risher, said, my bad. That was the quote. So David, uh, David Risher, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Gannett. Gannett, which owns a whole bunch of newspapers around the country, including USA Today. They censored Doonesbury. They censored Doonesbury. Doonesbury owns almost 400 newspapers in this country. 
And this past Sunday, many readers whose newspapers are owned by Gannett, they flipped to the comics section to find that Doonesbury was missing from its usual position in the printing. So former Iowa State Representative and President of the Veterans National Recovery Center, Bob Krause, noticed that absence and made sure to show Twitter what Gannett had hidden from them. What did they censor? Well, what they censored was a teacher explaining that 100,000 white Southerners um, in chose to enlist in the Union Army during the Civil War. Apparently, Gannett didn't want its readers knowing that seven of the states in the U.S. Confederacy explicitly cited the issue of slavery in their declarations of secession, and it also didn't want their comic strip fans learning about how almost 100,000 white Southerners chose loyalty to country and joined the Union Army. To me, this is ridiculous. This level of censorship over a comic. I always feel like I'm one of the few people that still reads the comics. I tried to get my son into it because he likes colors and, you know, he likes to read. And every weekend when we get the papers, I try to read through the comics with him. He doesn't seem to have much interest. He looks at it and I read him the, the, the squares and he doesn't seem to care at all. So hopefully he'll develop an interest as he gets older. I want to denounce, so Gannett, if I haven't been perfectly clear, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the North Texas Tollway Authority. There was a couple that was in Texas that was billed $1,000 for tolls on cars they don't own. And a reporter helped them prove it. Anne and her husband, Dale who's the former lead pastor of uh, Ann Smith and Dale Smith. Dale is the former lead pastor of Coleyville Presbyterian Church. And the North Texas Tollway Authority, for some reason, sent them a whole bunch of errant tolls. The Smiths said when they told the NTTA about the billing error, the agency said they had to prove they didn't own the cars. So you have to prove your innocence. I hate these bureaucracies. Just, ugh. So they reached out to the Star-Telegram after their attempts to convince the NTTA failed, including getting the police involved. The police tracked the cars that they said weren't paying their tolls to an Arlington dealership, which buys vehicles from a man also named Dale Smith. So it was another Dale Smith that owed all these tolls. And they sent it to this poor guy. My wife is still flipping out over the uh, $50 that they're trying to uh, collect from the uh, New Jersey toll that we supposedly didn't pay. And finally, I want to denounce King Supers. King Supers has been named as the worst, gross, the worst grocery chain in the United States for 2024 According to a study from Solitaire, they've determined the best and worst grocery store chains, along with the worst individual grocery stores around the country. And for the study, Solitaire uh, compared Google reviews from the 100 most populated cities in the country and focused on the first 30 grocery store results in each city. And sure enough, they found the worst in the country is King Supers. I must say, I have... Um, Never been to a King Supers. I'm not much of a food shopper, but 
King Supers, I do denounce you. If you have comments on anyone I have denounced, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads, fish heads, fish heads, eat them up, yum. Fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish. Laughing happy fish heads in the evening, floating in the soup. Fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads, fish heads, fish heads, eat them up, young. I don't think I've ever heard this song before. Uh, 32 minutes after the hour. Tony, what did you say the name of this song was? Fish Heads by Bonds and Bonds. Matt um, turned me on to this. Where, where'd you find this, Matt? So I, I I requested this song a long time ago. I never got to play it. This was voted the weirdest video on MTV huh. at one time, and it's just about fish heads. Is it a weird video? Oh, insanely weird. Well, how about sharing it in the uh, Facebook group? All right, we'll put it up there. All right, uh, Matt is going to share that in the Facebook group. If you want to see it, uh, go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. All right, going to get to your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. I'm excited that the weekend's here. I love to work. I love to do this show. And uh, when I'm not doing this show, I'm thinking about what we're going to be doing on the next version of this show. But it is nice to have, you know, a, a day off to um, catch up on errands and, uh, spend time with uh, with family, and uh, especially my son. He's at such a fun age. He's about two years old and l- loves playing games. And oh, By the way, he was in such a good streak. He slept through the night three days in a row, and that streak came to an end today. Uh, my wife uh, wrote me that he broke his streak and woke up, but he's back in bed, but now she can't fall asleep. But uh, he did three days in a row, so hopefully this is... His new thing. But anyway, you know what he's into playing now with both my wife and with me separately and together is hide and seek. Hide and seek. Now, he kind of understands the concept. He likes to do the seeking. And he will he's very good at counting. He can count to 10. No problem. But then he goes one through 10. Then he goes 11, 14. 16, 19, 20. For some reason, he won't say 12, 13, uh, 15, or um, 17 or 18. I don't know why. 
But I said, Carmen, you only have to count to 10. But he keeps going, keeps going. And then he also doesn't necessarily understand. He likes to be the seeker, but he likes to see where you're hiding. So he doesn't close his eyes. Uh, and if he does close his eyes, which is rare, I say, Carmen, you got to close your eyes. And I'll show him, you know, look, I'm closing my eyes while, while you hide. If he does close his eyes, then what he does before he starts counting is he points to where you want, where he wants you to hide. He'll say, Daddy, hide in the playroom. Daddy, hide behind the sofa. Daddy, hide on the wall. I said, Carmen, you're not supposed to know where I'm hiding. It defeats the challenge of the game. And he says, he says, okay, he says, yes. But then he either looks when I, when I hide or he will tell me where he wants me to hide. Then um, when it's my turn, he'll say, okay, I'm going to hide now, meaning he'll hide. But then he doesn't hide. He just counts again and begins the seeking process. So there are some kinks to figure out that we're, we're working on. But, uh, but he's learning. You know, he's two years old. By the time he's five, believe me, this is going to be an expert hide-and-seek player. You mark my words. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Speaking of sons, I want to, uh, want to thank the son of Igor, which I think was a Frankenstein movie, if I'm not mistaken. The son of Igor sent me a really interesting story, which I would not have seen, having to do with the Customs and Border Patrol sniffing out something unusual in a passenger's luggage. And no, it wasn't rotten fish. Are you ready for this? Mummified monkeys. Mummified monkeys. A U.S. Customs and Border Protection dog sniffed out something unusual in this luggage from a traveler returning from Africa, the mummified monkeys. The passenger return, returning from a visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo reported that the luggage contained dried fish. So he was intentionally deceptive. He claimed it was dried fish, not the rotting variety that produced maggots on the Delta flight. Although who knows, maybe he was on that flight also. But they didn't expect inspection at Boston's Logan Airport. Uh, shout out uh, to uh, my uh, step second cousin, Scott Logan. And they did an inspection at Boston's Logan Airport and they revealed dead and dehydrated bodies of four monkeys. So the traveler said he brought the monkeys into the United States for his own consumption. But they were mummified. Raw or minimally processed meat from wild animals, sometimes referred, as, referred to as bushmeat, is banned in the U.S. because of the threat of disease. Julio Caravaglia, the local port director for Customs and Border Protection, said the potential dangers posed by bringing bushmeat into the United States are real. Bushmeat can carry germs that can cause illness, including the Ebola virus. This incident happened last month, but it wasn't made public until Friday. So no charges were filed against this guy, but all of the luggage was seized. And the nearly nine pounds, which is four kilograms for those of you that prefer the metric system, the nearly nine pounds of bushmeat were marked for destruction 
by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And presumably it was destroyed. Now, again, I'm not saying this guy should have been charged. But ask me who I think is more of a criminal. This guy who's trying to smuggle into the country nine pounds of mummified monkey, potentially giving us all Ebola, and lying about it, claiming it's dried fish, or Julian Assange, who's sitting in essentially a prison cell in London right now as, he, as we speak, awaiting his fate. Ask me who's more worthy of a stern reprimand and losing their job. This guy, Mr. Mister Nine Pounds slash Four Kilograms of Bush Meat, Mr. Mummified Monkey himself, or this poor lady that ate scraps of a tuna sandwich that was going to be thrown away. I stand with the tuna sandwich lady and Julian Assange. You know, we're going to have, you know, we should do a, maybe I will go to the U.K., We'll do a, a joint, a three-way protest, right? Well, I, I will protest the need to bring back TAB. Then we'll have the Assange people out there, the Assange supporters, and the supporters of the tuna fish lady. And the three of us will do a thing. We should. Um, you know, by the way, speaking of TAB, I think I talked about this. Maybe not. I don't know. But the, my name, yeah, I mentioned this the other day. On Saturday, the day of the snowstorm, my neighbors, you know, we all are very close. We have a very close neighborhood. My neighbors came over. Uh, they have boys a little older than Carmine, and the boys are all playing together. And the adults uh, all, uh, you know, they all had drinks, all snow, snow, snowstorm cocktails. You know, uh, Nick had a beer. Uh, Tara had a, a, a vodka soda. I think my wife was drinking white Russians. But. I'm on the wagon right now because I'm abstaining for from for Lent uh, from alcohol. So, by the way, so far, what's today? Today's Friday. So far, I have gone nine days without a drop of alcohol. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. There's, let's see, Mother Teresa. There's the Pope. There's Jesus. And then there's me. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Jesus wasn't abstaining from alcohol. Okay, just saying. But anyway... Um, I thought, since they're all having a drink, maybe I'll do something special. Maybe I'll do something fun, uh, treat myself to something that I normally wouldn't do. Well, right before the uh, right before they discontinued Tab, my friend bought me a a twelve pack. Actually, it might have been right after the ban. Actually, he might have found it right after they uh, they did away with it. My friend brought me a twelve pack of Tab. And so far, I have consumed, uh, uh, up until last Saturday, I consumed three cans. So I had about nine cans left, maybe eight. I said, you know what? It's been a few years. I've been very careful in terms of using this tab. Let me treat myself. Let me have a can of tab. So I had a can of tab and these great glasses that Sophia Pika who's still looking for a kidney, by the way, gave me from the 70s, tab glasses from the 70s. And I put the photo of myself drinking the, uh, not myself drinking it, but myself pouring the tab into these glasses on my Facebook page. You could take a look, facebook.com slash fan. And I said, you know, that was so delicious. Clearly my efforts to bring back tab aren't working. Let me see if, I know it's going to be expensive, let me go on Amazon 
and see what a 12-pack of tab is going for these days. Now, keep in mind, they don't make them anymore. They haven't made them in four years, but people still have them and might be selling ones that they had from four years ago. How much do you think a 12-pack of tab goes for? Uh, Tony, any guesses? $50. Matt, what do you think? $250. $250. That, what, what do you think of that price, Tony? $250. Too much for some soda. The, the price of a 12-pack of tab, $455. $455. I will tell you, I love tab, but I'm not spending $455 on, on tab no matter what. In fact, I almost regretted drinking the can that I had. I'm thinking maybe I could sell that that can for $50. You trying to flip it? No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. How and, many you got left? I think probably about seven or seven now. So you, you're going to hold out until they come back? Are you going to... Is there? You think they're going to expire and not taste good after another four or five years? It's a good question, right? I mean, how long do they stay? I don't know. Um, It'll but just the get one, flat. The, well, I don't know. You, even if you keep them refrigerated and everything, I don't know. After that, one. I, uh, I, you know, the one that I had was very refreshing. Tasted just like it would have three or four years ago. I, I had one with my friend Brian Silverstein, by the way, about a year ago, and I had one with my friend Vinny about a year before that. I think I did one on my own. So I think I have maybe seven or eight left, and um, they all—it tasted just as good. But I don't know why Coca-Cola won't just bring this back. And you know what's so frustrating about Coca-Cola? Um, they just released some new flavors that no one wants. They released this new, okay, a new flavor that they claim is powered by K-pop. It's called. K-Wave Zero Sugar. No one wants this. No one is going to buy this. No one is going to drink this. This is a spiced raspberry cola. It's a limited time drop as part of their Coca-Cola Creations program. They've already come up with all these other flavors that no one likes. Starlight, Move, Dream World. Have you had any of these? We had Starlight on the program. It was mediocre. It was nasty. It, it was mediocre. Like, it tasted like a gingerbread house. A little bit, right. <laughs> but no, the point is no one is going to buy these. No one's going to drink these. Tab has a 50-plus year history of people enjoying it. There's a built-in constituency for Tab. So I, I'm not against Coca-Cola creating all these crazy flavors that no one wants to drink. That will simulate what it's like uh, being a, a fan of K-pop. But if you're going to do that, give us a little tab. Charge more for it. Not $455, but, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, you know, I think, and, and I could be wrong about this, but I think if you go to the world of Coca-Cola where they have all the different samples of the different types of, uh, of Coca-Colas, they, they have... A fountain tab. So what does that mean? It means they're still producing the syrup to make tab. And yet they're choosing not to do it. They're choosing not to manufacture it just to put it out there. Just to not put it out there. I think that is really horrible. 800-848-9222. Joaquin is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank, did you know that maggots have a medicinal purpose? I did not, and uh, I'll be honest, I don't care to find out. Okay, but I want to tell you a really funny fish story. 
Latin fish story. So anyway, I, I've been a truck driver for 42 years, okay? And I used to haul garbage from Yatank, Long Island, out to uh, Penn Arzal, Pennsylvania. And so one time I picked up, I was picking up, they went on my trailer. There was a, uh, a, a compactor, a, a garbage compactor that broke down from a fish market. And it sat in the sun in July for about a week before they actually moved it. And they took it to the transfer station where I hauled out of. And guess who wound up with that load of rotten fish? You you did. Yes, I did. And are you familiar with the cherry-scented speedy dry that they try and put onto mask odors? No. Oh, my gosh. When you mix that stuff together, it's horrible. But anyway, I was lucky because I drove this Barney Purple Peterbilt, and it was a very fast truck. So, okay, so I get this load of rotten fish with this cherry-scented speedy dry on it, which reeked horribly. And so I'm going out across, you know, the cross Bronx, you know, and uh, there's a couple guys behind me. And then one guy goes, we better get behind, we better pass this guy because uh, he that, that stinks. Uh, uh, I said, sorry, dude, he ain't passing me. I got the freaking fastest truck on the road. And he goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, you're right. So the juices are dripping out of the trailer. I get out oh. to the uh, in Penn Largel, and they come running out of the scale house. you got to get this truck out of here. I said, this is in the 90s, so I, I had a cell phone, but, you know, you didn't use them that much then. And uh, I said, you got to let me call my boss. I don't know where I'm going, you know. So they got you got about a half an hour, okay. So I go and I make the phone call. And so I call my boss, and he says, all right, head towards Scranton. And, uh, and then call me back. And uh, they actually escorted me out of town because they were afraid that the EPA and the town there, because they're already having problems with the landfill in the town there, they escorted me out of town to make sure that I didn't stop anywhere to get a cup of coffee or anything. Well, that's very funny, and uh, I can imagine that's not the first town you've been escorted out of. Joaquin, thank you. I want to thank you also because after hearing that story, I am no longer craving a tuna sandwich. I am no longer hungry for anything. Hey, by the way, I was talking about that uh, Google AI turning Nazis and uh, founding fathers and Vikings black. I neglected to mention it also made the Pope a woman. If you went to that Google Gemini AI image creator, and this was actually the front page of yesterday's New York Post. I didn't I didn't realize that um, it makes it makes the Pope a woman. So there you have it. Nothing like accuracy. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Some action, but like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. The girls are all around, but none of them want to get with me. My threads are fresh, and I'm looking deaf. Yo, what's up? What a LOC. The girls was all jocking at the other end of the barn, having drinks with some no name chump when they know that I'm the star. So I got up and strolled over. 
to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy, why are you so fly? He said, funky cold Medina. Tone Loke. Eight minutes until the top of the hour. You know who I find annoying? Any guys that are good at dancing at weddings or parties and who seem to enjoy dancing at weddings or parties. I don't know why, but those people annoy me. You should be just as miserable dancing as the rest of us. All right. Um, You know what happened today on this date in 1987? 87? No, 88. What was that, 26 years ago today? Yeah, 26 years ago today. Um, There was a presentation of uh, WWF's main event from the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. No, actually, wait, it would have been, maybe it was 1989. Okay, 1989. So the, the, sh- the hook of the show was a WrestleMania five rematch for the WWF World Championship between um, the Macho the Macho King Randy Savage and the World Wrestling Federation Champion Hulk Hogan, and the special guest referee for that match was going to be heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson. Now that's kind of a cool thing. Right, because you have a guy that's a champion in boxing coming and being a champion, a, a referee of a championship match in wrestling, and they did a lot of that stuff back then. It was kind of cool, but a funny thing happened on the way to Detroit, and a lot of listeners listening on uh, AM nine ten, the Superstation, may remember this. Shout out to WFDF. Mike Tyson lost the heavyweight title. In Tokyo, Japan, a month earlier. Who did he lose it to? You probably remember it because it was one of the biggest updates in sports history. Buster Douglas. So, um, actually, yeah, it was 1990. All right, 1990. February 23rd, 1990. 20, uh, however many years ago. I don't know. Math's not my strong suit. So, uh, Mike Tyson loses to Buster Douglas. And so then Tyson pulls out of his scheduled appearance with the WWF. And so the WWF gets the new world champion, Buster Douglas, to take his place. Now, there's nothing like having Mike Tyson there, but I guess, you know, it's never a bad thing to have the champion there. And it turned out this was a very cost-efficient move for the WWF as well, because bringing in Mike Tyson was going to cost the company a million dollars. And this was in 1990 when a million dollars was a million dollars. They were able to get Buster Douglas, who was the champion, for only $110,000. So um, that's kind of cool. That happened on this day in uh, 1990. And Hulk Hogan won that match. He retained his uh, title. And uh, speaking of wrestling history, it was on this day in 1999 that the wrestler Renegade, who was basically just a WCW ripoff of The Ultimate Warrior, uh, unfortunately died due to a, uh, a, a suicide. He was only 33 years old. So sad. And, you know, here was a guy... Uh, look, he clearly, if you're going to commit suicide, you've got a lot of demons that you're battling, and there are probably multiple issues. I have to think, though, 
that all of the mental health issues that he was struggling with were exacerbated by how he was treated by WCW and professional wrestling in, in general. I don't know that for a fact. It's just my speculation. They used him for a brief cup of coffee to basically use him as an Ultimate Warrior impersonator, and they re- built him up to be this big star, give him the television championship, even though he never should have had that title, couldn't really wrestle, and then they fired him. And he falls into this deep depression, and it was a depression that he would never come out of. And uh, about a year after they fired him, he committed suicide. 33 years old. Sad, sad story. All right. Um, 800-848-9222. Bill is listening on WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Bill. Hello. How are you? Well, I am doing just fine. Thank you. Uh, Before I get to my topic, I just want to say this. uh, Mike Tyson is a street thug. He never amounted to anything. I thought he was going to be a good fighter, but then he bit the guy's ear off, and that did it for me. So much for him. Well, I, I mean, uh, if he was in the ring against you, late. Bill, Let me I'd, get to my I'd, point. I, if he was in the ring against you, Bill, I'd still put my money on Tyson. I just don't have any respect for the man. I think he's got a screw loose. But that's I, I'm, I'm sure he's devastated at your lack of respect. <laughs> he could care less, and so do I. I don't care what happens to him, one or the other. He's a garbage. Let me get to my point. Um, you, you mentioned, with all the respect, you mentioned Tab. How old are you, if I may ask? Oh, well, I'm old enough to know better. I'm 65. I'm old enough to be your father. I remember when... Well, uh, you don't know I how old I am. I, how do you know you're old enough to be my father? I'm 65. You said you had a son named about three, so I guess you're not that old. Uh, well, Bill, is, I have... My point is, Tab is a terrible drink. Well, Bill, your taste in boxing is as is as on the money as your taste in soda, which is to say, woefully off. And I have as much respect for you as you have for Mike Tyson. I'm just kidding. I appreciate your listenership, and I appreciate you calling. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.